I heard there's an asteroid or a comet or something that you don't like the looks of. <sighs> Tell me about it. You got 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Go. <clears throat> uh, a comet between five to 10 kilometers across that we estimate came from the Oort cloud. And using Gauss's method of orbital determination and the average astrometric uncertainty of 0 0.04. Whoa, 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 whoa. The hell I'm is so fun. bored. Just tell us what it is. This, this Seriously, what? stop. What Dr. Mindy is trying to say wow. is that there's a comet headed directly towards Earth. And then what happens? Like a tidal wave? It will be far more catastrophic. There will, there will be mile-high tsunamis. So how certain is this? There's 100% certainty of impact. Please. Don't say 100%. Can we just call it a potentially significant event? But it isn't potentially going to happen. 99.78% to be exact. Oh, great. Okay, so it's not 100%. President Meryl Streep and her aides get the lowdown on a giant comet that's heading straight for Earth from Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, who portray a pair of astronomers in a new movie called Don't Look Up. The movie is totally fictional and darkly funny, but it provides a teachable moment about the realities surrounding potential threats from near-Earth objects. And it provides a biting commentary about how our society handles scientific issues, including climate change and the coronavirus pandemic. Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Alan Boyle, one of your hosts for the Fiction Science Podcast, coming to you from the place where science and technology intersect with fiction and popular culture. Join me and my co-host, science fiction writer Dominica Fetaplace, as we chat about Don't Look Up and the real science of near-Earth objects with planetary scientist Amy Mainzer, who served as the astronomy tech advisor for Don't Look Up. You'd be hard-pressed to find a black comedy about astronomy with more stars in it than Don't Look Up which is coming to theaters and Netflix this month. There's Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, Timothy Chalamet, Kate Blanchett, Tyler Perry, Ariana Grande, Ron Perlman, and the list goes on. The director is Adam McKay, who's done more than a dozen movies, including Anchorman, The Big Short, and Vice. Even before its official release, Don't Look Up is being talked about as an Oscar contender and one of the funniest films of the year. That's all pretty heady stuff for the movie's science advisor, Amy Mainzer, who's a professor at the University of Arizona's Lunar and Planetary Laboratory and one of the world's leading scientists focusing on asteroid detection and planetary defense. She's been the principal investigator for NASA's NEOWISE asteroid hunting mission, and now she's heading up a next-generation asteroid survey mission called NEO Surveyor. Don't Look Up isn't just about asteroids and comets. The movie is also about what happens when science gets tied up with politics and big money, a situation we see unfolding today with respect to climate change and COVID. That gave Dominica Fetaplace and me plenty to talk about when we sat down for a Zoom session with Amy Mainzer to discuss Don't Look Up and the real-world science behind the movie. We started out asking Amy how she hooked up with Hollywood in the first place. I had served as the science advisor for the movie and uh, got involved uh, just basically when they were looking for someone who was knowledgeable about asteroids and comets. And that, that is the research that I work on. 
uh, these days. So uh, they reached out and I was uh, really excited to hear about the movie because uh, this is a director I, I really like and respect his work. So it was a lot of fun to work with him. Did the fact that Meryl Streep and uh, Leo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence were involved in the movie play any part in your decision? You know, it's funny. I don't think I knew that they were associated with the movie when I first spoke to Adam McKay, to Adam, the director. But uh, yeah, he's, he's done really, really great work in the past. And uh, it just seemed like a, a really interesting premise. Uh, and then, of course, when the cast was announced, I thought, oh, my gosh, wow. <laughs> that was really something. How deep did you guys go into the details of impact threats? We spent a lot of effort talking uh, about the science and just exactly, you know, what is likely and how does the science of this of this topic work? I uh, spent a lot of time talking with with Adam, with Leonardo, with Jennifer Lawrence, Rob Morgan. Um, spent a lot of time talking with all of them just about, you know, what do we know about asteroids and comets? What are our gaps in our knowledge? And how is the system set up to react? to things as we learn more about them. So specifically, as we gather observations of these objects, you know, how does it work? Uh, so we spent a lot of time really going over just how is the system set up and what would we do if we ever did find such an object? They were really, really interested in the science. Wow. Did that surprise you? Because I think some people assume that the actors just show up on the set and they're not interested in the science, they just play their part. But in this case, they, they really were interested in getting into the nitty gritty. These actors wanted to know everything. <laughs> At this point, I would say they're approaching some pretty, pretty solid knowledge of, of just how do we find asteroids and comets and what do we, uh, what do, we do about them? I mean, we, we actually spend a lot of time going over the science. And in particular, this movie has a lot of fairly, I would say, intense dialogue about the subject. So we spent a lot of time talking with both Adam and Leonardo about just how do you even say the words in a way that's convincing? What's the, how, do we, how do we go through the dialogue when you have all this, this jargon? How do you make it sound natural? Um, they were really interested in the science, which was, which was great. And that was a big motivation for, for wanting to work with this director. He has a, a real reputation for for trying to bring uh, some realism to his movies when he studies a subject, and this was no exception. So it's obviously a, um, a science fiction movie, right? I mean, there's, there's definitely places where the movie just wildly diverges from reality, but there's, we wanted to try to make a, a sort of a grounding in reality that would um, help just make the movie more, more believable overall. Yeah, the science is fascinating. Even in the trailer, there were a few references that came out, like the size of the asteroid and the probability of uh, impact, uh, whether it's 100% or 99.87% or whatever. Are, did you come up with those figures? Yeah, we spent a lot of time on that scene in particular, trying to you know, convey just how do scientists talk about uncertainty? Um, that was another thing that, you know, that this crew really wanted to understand, which is just not only the science of the asteroids and the comets themselves, but just how do scientists talk? How do we think? How do we tackle things like uncertainty in our measurements? Um, that was a huge focus of, of what we spent a lot of time on. That scene in particular, of course, we didn't drag through all the precise math of, you know, confidence intervals and all that, but just they wanted to convey the idea that, you know, we deal with uncertainty in our measurements and even the word uncertainty has a specific mathematical definition to a scientist that maybe isn't the same if you just use it casually in everyday life. So that scene is kind of meant to encapsulate just the, the difficulties I think that scientists sometimes have in 
in communicating the things that we're learning as well as the limits of our knowledge to everybody else. Do you have an elevator pitch for getting that message across? Like if, if you were just uh, encountering someone, whether it's Leonardo DiCaprio or the corner newspaper vendor, uh, what do you tell them about what's the important thing about understanding the uh, threat of impact and, and the uncertainty and the probabilities involved? Well, the, the first and foremost thing is, of course, there is nothing that we know about today that is on an impact trajectory with Earth. We, first of all, just to be very clear about that, I mean, this is a science fiction movie tackling an incredibly unlikely scenario, which is that something is found with a, with a non-zero, you know, a significant impact probability. Let's put it that way. Uh, we don't know of any objects like that today. So full stop. Um, now, admittedly, we don't know where every single asteroid or comet that could get close to the Earth is. We still have a lot of work to do to go find them and catalog them and make sure we know where they're going. But as of today, there is nothing we know about that's headed our way. Uh, so that's the great news. We still have work to do, but we know what we have to do and we are going and doing it. So I think that's the important takeaway. The movie is science fiction. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> It's definitely and, a, a science fiction scenario. <laughs> and, and as you know, there have been some occasions in the past uh, where people have said, oh, this asteroid has a 1 in 125,000 chance of hitting Earth, and people get all upset about that. And, and so that's been a big issue, I think, for the planetary science community is how you communicate that, how big of a deal this is. Right. It's, it's absolutely one of the challenges of dealing with something that's a very low probability event. How do you properly convey that? And the, what we know about the probability changes as we get more knowledge about a specific object. Um, that's, that's definitely one of the more challenging aspects of this. You know, when it, uh, when it comes to the real science, the way it works is, of course, we spot an object. We don't have very many observations of it initially when we start off. Um, so our knowledge of its trajectory is, can be uncertain. And you know can be very uncertain, and so what has to happen is we have to build up more and more and more observations of it to to affirm that knowledge, so we can reduce the uncertainty in the measurement, so we can know where it's going to go with much much greater certainty. So that process, um, we kind of collapse that in the movie. We don't go through all of that right away, but uh, basically, you know, that is how it works. And so um, when we find these objects, we still have a, you know, we have a lot of work to do to basically go and refine our knowledge of the orbit. So you mentioned that every science fiction movie has to stretch some things about the science. Are there some things that you want to call out uh, without giving away too much about the movie, uh, just so that when people see it, they'll, they'll understand, oh, this is, this is something that is maybe not exactly in accordance with the science, but, you know, it serves the plot. Right. Well, first and foremost, like I said, the, the, right off the bat, and this is not a spoiler, I mean, they find something that looks like it's heading right at the Earth. We don't know of anything like that, full stop, right? And so that, just to be very, very clear about that, this is a completely hypothetical scenario in the movie, of course. Um, that's the, that said, uh, you know, there are asteroids and comets that are out there. It's very, very, very unlikely that a sizable object would ever impact the earth. We know that it's a rare event because frankly, if it happened more often, we wouldn't be here today. Um, if really big global impacts happened all the time, there probably wouldn't be human beings all over the earth right now. So we know that it's an incredibly rare event. 
However, because it can have very severe consequences, we want to do something about it. Doesn't mean we have to run out and buy asteroid insurance or any of that stuff. That's not called for here. But we do want to do something. In my opinion, as a scientist, the sort of sensible something to do is just go look for the asteroids and comets. And if you do a thorough enough search and you look carefully and you pay attention to where everything is going and you collect enough observations to be pretty sure what it's likely to do, then you can say that you've done something about it and you've significantly retired the risk of something happening that you didn't know about. Um, so that, from my perspective, is the sort of sensible thing to do about this is just go look. Mm -hmm. and that is kind of the theme of the movie. I know that some of my space geek friends uh, pointed out uh, the space shuttle and the missile barrage going toward the asteroid. Had, did you get any feedback from that? Have, have you heard from your pals in the science community about uh, things where, yeah, this is a movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, absolutely. Space shuttles are retired. <laughs> Full stop. There's no <laughs> space shuttles that are going into space anytime soon. That's, 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 that's done. There is a reason why they use the space shuttles. It's such an iconic image for one thing. But as you'll see when the plot unfolds, there is actually a little bit of, of rationale for why they do that um, in the movie. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a science fiction movie and there's definitely sci-fi elements of it right off the bat. So you'll, you'll recognize a few things. That said, the space shuttles, uh, did talk to Adam about that and I, I understand why he did that. It makes sense when you see the full context of it and the same thing with the multiple launches and all that. So anyway, it's, uh, it's definitely a sci-fi movie, but uh, it's, and it's very tongue in cheek, um, but it is, it has some important grounding in reality, I would say. Yeah. I appreciate uh, you giving us the reassurance that such an impact event uh, is unlikely, but one of the aspects of this movie that struck me as all too real is that the threat is discovered and it's hard to get anyone to care about that. How did that aspect of this movie land with you? So one of the things that we spent a lot of time talking about with the, with the director and with the, the cast is just how the real system for discovering and communicating about asteroids and comets is set up. The system in reality is designed for maximum transparency. Meaning when I, as an observer, collect observations of an asteroid or comet, I report them to the Minor Planet Center, which is this huge central repository. It's a big database with people connecting all these dots together, literally, uh, to try to figure out whether the dots that we're seeing match up to something that's already known. If it's not something that's already known, then the object gets reported to something called the Near-Earth Object Confirmation Page. And that makes it public to the science community to basically say, okay, here's an object that looks like it could be a near-Earth object, meaning it, it can have some chance of getting relatively close to the Earth. Not all that close, but reasonably close. So let's put it out there and see if other observers can go look at it. Um, so that, and that goes public right away, really quickly. Uh, as soon as the computer gets done processing it and it gets posted up on the page, it's that, that whole time span is, is usually just a matter of hours in a lot of cases, it's pretty fast. So um, <clears throat> what we tried to communicate in the movie is a little different, right? In other words, this is a scenario that, like you say, things kind of go awry in that communications process. In reality, the system is really set up to be transparent. Our real system has been exercised in a couple of very important ways. Uh, for example, in 2008, there was an object that was discovered by my colleagues at the Catalina Sky Survey uh, over here in, in Tucson and in, in Arizona. And basically, 
in that instance, an object was discovered with about 24 hours between when it was found and when it was supposed to impact the Earth. In that short amount of time, literally hundreds of observations were collected by observers all around the planet on this object. So very quickly, everybody knew, everybody went and looked at it. And the observations were good enough that they were able to predict where it was going to go in the desert in Sudan. And eventually, a team of researchers and students went out there and actually collected the pieces of the meteorite that fell and made it all the way to Earth. So that's a pretty powerful demonstration that the system really is set up to let everybody know what's happening and, and get the word out fast. Because yeah, we that want really is amazing. Uh, should we be doing more than we're already doing? Well, let's put it this way. I'm a person who studies asteroids and comets. And from my perspective, I think that the sensible thing to do about this particular problem is, is like I said, just go look. Go, go look up and see what's out there and do a thorough enough job of it that we have a reasonable chance of spotting something that's large enough to cause appreciable damage uh, well before it could make its way here. And the good news is, is that uh, NASA is doing that. Um, so we have uh, existing surveys that are being carried out and we're working on new ones as well. Uh, in particular, the project I'm, I'm working on now, the Near-Earth Object Surveyor, uh, is in its preliminary design phase now. So we are building that facility, and it's scheduled for launch in early March of 2026. Yeah, I meant to ask about the NEO Surveyor. Uh, you've been working on this project for a long time, uh, sometimes under different names. It was called NEOCAM, I think, at one point. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, what sorts of asteroids could this particular spacecraft find that have not been found uh, in previous surveys? Yeah, this spacecraft is designed to to do a really to do that comprehensive look at the population that I was talking about. That basically we really want to go look for the objects that are, in particular, asteroids that are large enough to cause what I would call severe regional damage. So things that are larger than sort of football field sized, basically. Uh, and and the idea is not just to find them when they're a few days away from impact, but to find them when they're ideally decades away from impact, so that we have time to go out and build any mitigation missions that we might need if one ever were found that looks like it has a significant probability of impact with the Earth. That's the objective of the mission. And everything is going on track for that mission? Yeah, we uh, so we entered the preliminary design phase, which is the formal start of the, you know, the project uh, in June of this year. So we're off to the races and the team is stepping up rapidly. Uh, we're working on the engineering across all the different subsystems on the vehicle. Uh, it's really exciting to see everything coming together. It really does take a village to build a spacecraft, and um, we're putting the team together. And it's it's just really a, it's really a blast. Actually, it's a it's a great experience. And there are other asteroid missions uh, underway or in the works. Uh, one is OSIRIS-REx, which is supposed to return samples from an asteroid. And uh, another is DART, which is supposed to shoot something at an asteroid and see what happens. And, and uh, scientists generally say that that might help people figure out how to mitigate an asteroid threat. If you shoot something at it, like they do in the movie, you want to know how that's going to affect the asteroid. So it, it seems like it's getting into a real golden age for studying asteroids and trying to mitigate those threats. Yeah, we're learning a lot more about the objects. And uh, that's there have been some really wonderful experiments that have been done. Uh, my colleagues uh, in Japan have done uh, Hayabusa 2, which is also a sample return mission. And their sample is now back on the earth. It's, uh, it's, it's a really interesting sample. I can't wait to see some of the results. The sample that came back from this particular object, this is a very uh, primitive type of asteroid. It's, it's carbon rich. 
It's extremely dark and it kind of looks like coffee grounds almost, that sample. So learning about just what some of these objects are made of when we get these precious samples back is, is really exciting. And then Osiris Rex will be bringing back sample two in the near future. Uh, the other thing that Hayabusa did is they actually detonated a small device on the surface of the object to look at how it responded. And then, of course, we're going to get the DART mission, which will do an even bigger such impact uh, on, the, on the satellite of an asteroid. Asteroid has a, a moon, and they're actually going to go bump into the moon to try to change its orbit a little bit. So, yeah, we should get a lot of great information just about what some of these bodies are like. The challenge, of course, is that they're extremely diverse. There's all different kinds of asteroids made out of all different kinds of things and with all different weirdo shapes and internal structures. So uh, we're never going to run out of things to learn when it comes to asteroids. So in terms of how to mitigate or how to head off a potentially hazardous asteroid, people have talked about various ideas. They've been talking about this for definitely more than a decade. But what's the current thinking on what to do if we do find an asteroid like the one in uh, Don't Look Up that is coming our way? Well, the key ingredient is time. That's the most important ingredient of all, actually. You need time. And this is something that, uh, you know, you'll see there's a science fiction element of this in the movie. Comets are a bit of a different beast. They can come into the inner part of the solar system with incredible velocities relative to the asteroids. And so they can make their close approach. The time between discovery and, and close approach can be very, very short. Uh, so ideally, we would like to not have just months to react. We really would like to have years or better yet, decades. That ability to have that much time depends in a large way on how you do your survey. So one of the major objectives of the NEO Surveyor Project is to make sure we do the survey in such a way that when we discover these objects, we see them when they're decades away from any close approach. If you have many, many years, now the range of option space is much greater. If you don't have a lot of time, probably the only thing you could do is try to move people out of the way. But if you have more time, uh, you can start to look at things like kinetic impactors, where you simply go and bump into the asteroid or the comet and you try to bump it off course. You can also use more, uh, I would say, more uh, exotic techniques. There's something called a gravity tractor, where the idea is you just get a really big hunk of metal spacecraft and you park it next to the asteroid or comet and you just wait. You let the faint pull of gravity do the work for you, pulling it off course. That takes time, though. Not something that you can do if you only have a, a little bit of warning. You need you need years to do that, ideally decades. Uh, and then, of course, the the last resort would be some sort of nuclear device or standoff nuclear explosion that would that would push the object out of the way. But which technique you are able to choose depends heavily on how much time you have. So that's the first key ingredient. So from my perspective as an observer, my goal is to try to provide the time. Otherwise, a lot of these options just simply aren't available. Yeah, it would be great to anticipate disasters instead of just reacting to them. <laughs> yeah, that's the general goal here is to try to to try to get us to a point where we we have lots of knowledge and you know, look, but from my perspective the ideal thing would be we go do these comprehensive surveys and we find out that there's nothing headed our way. That would be Great. That would be full mission success from my perspective. That would yeah, be the yeah. Maybe the, maybe this movie will get people excited about those possibilities of having like more time. Um, now there are really a lot of uh, bad disaster movies out there. I was wondering if you had a least favorite disaster movie. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, the funny thing is, is that 
the worse the movie is, probably the more I like them. <laughs> I have to admit, I have a pretty good weakness for, for B-grade <laughs> disaster movies. If you can laugh at it, then it's a good movie as far as I'm concerned. So um, yeah, no, any, uh, gosh, there've been so many, you know, ironically, I actually haven't seen Armageddon. I've never seen it. Are you saving that for a special occasion? Uh, you anticipate maybe. loving it so much because it's so bad. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe when I retire, I'll watch it. <laughs> I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Okay. Well, can you think of a favorite one in that case? Let's see. Favorite disaster movies. Oh boy. Uh, well, I have to say, I, having seen this movie, this I do I do enjoy this movie quite a bit, and I hope other people will too. This one is my current current epic disaster movie favorite, and that's. That is honestly how I feel about it. It, is, it will make you laugh <laughs> and it might make you think, um, but hopefully it'll be good. That's a great uh, I like, endorsement. Yeah. I like Twister for, for the record. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a disaster movie exactly, but you know, that's, a, that's an old even a goodie. Is there any lesson that you hope people take away from don't look up uh, on the science front or are you just concerned about, uh, oh, it's a good movie and I don't think that you have to have any deeper meaning to a good movie like this. Well, I think the, one of the other objectives of the movie is to help portray scientists as human beings. So that was important to me as the science advisor to help ensure that the movie portrays science as human beings, scientists as human beings, you know, we try hard. We don't always communicate perfectly. We don't always get everything perfectly right, but we do try. And I think that was an important theme of the, of the movie from my perspective. Um, it's also just a, a commentary on how we make science-based decisions as a society or not. Uh, obviously, I think we should make science-based decisions because science operates on us whether we like it or not. We are subject to the physical laws of the world, whether we like them or not. And so um, as a scientist, you know, we, we want, I want to provide the best information that I can uh, to everybody else. And I hope that people use that information to make their decisions about what to do next. For people who want to learn more about like asteroids and comets, do you have any resources that you could recommend? Yeah, I would say that uh, NASA's Planetary Defense Coordination Office has some really fantastic resources in it. And yes, we actually do have a NASA Planetary Defense Coordination Office. That is a real thing. It sounds kind of a, it sounds kind of amazing, but that that really is a real a real thing within NASA. And they they actually these are the folks who really are tasked with trying to figure out what to do about asteroids and comets. And again, it's a very very low probability that any of this would ever happen. But you know, because the consequences could be potentially severe, you don't want to ignore it. So this is NASA's response: is this Planetary Defense Coordination Office. And it's, um, you know, they've got a bunch of different information about just the different kinds of objects that are there. Uh, there's access to the databases that show where all the specific objects are. If you're interested in a particular object, you can go look up all the information that we know about it uh, within that database. So there, there's a lot of really great information and resources there. You know, this is a podcast for science fiction fans. So uh, besides Twister, do you have any recommendations for films or shows or books that you think our listeners should check out? I am just a huge sci-fi nerd. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I go back to some of the classics, of course, Star Trek. You know, oh, I love that. I'm yes. always going to be a Star Trek, a Star Trek person. So, you know, I mean that, and I think there's a movie called Moon that I really, really liked. I thought that was a really great movie because it, it really portrayed just a little bit of what it might be like to 
be living in space, trying to work on the moon, you know, that I thought, and it was a really interesting exploration of just uh, the whole idea of what does it mean to be human? And I thought the computer in the movie was, was really interesting too. That's sort of a counterpoint to 2001. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for spending this time with us. And we'll look forward to seeing Don't Look Up. I hope people follow Amy on her Twitter account because I know that you've got your avatar set to be uh, you as a science officer on Star <laughs> Trek. So that is a hardcore fan. Really appreciate everything that you're doing for science awareness and uh, awareness of the potential perils of asteroids. And so, uh, again, thanks for being with us. You're most welcome. Thanks so much. For more about Don't Look Up, Amy Mainzer, and the issues surrounding potentially threatening near-Earth objects, check out my blog item on Cosmic Log. Don't Look Up is coming to theaters on December 10th, and it'll be available on Netflix beginning December 24th. While you're online, check out dominicafetaplace.com. Don't worry about the spelling, just follow the link from the Cosmic Log item. Thanks to Netflix, ZoomWorks, and Amy Mainzer for the interview, and thanks to James Emley for his rendition of the fiction science theme music, composed by yours truly. Please subscribe to our Fiction Science Podcast and feel free to give us a stellar rating on your favorite podcast channel. And so, until next time, this is Alan Boyle advising you to watch the skies.